and there's never enough Brexit. It's Friday, January 19th, 2018, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Dutch News contributing editor and proud new dog mom, and with me today is my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and gritter spotter, Gordon Derrick, and Paul Paters, civil engineering master student and our resident weather person. So first thing we need to do this week is welcome a new member of our team. Right? We do. We have yeah. a we have a new uh, a new podcast member. His uh, his name is Troubadour Magma. We yeah. we adopted him from the ASEAL in Rotterdam on Saturday. Yeah, and he's named after what exactly? He's named after a beer, right. of course, as as all good as things all your in dogs life. Are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he's currently uh, sleeping on the bed just uh, just outside the recording studio, hanging say, out. Say hi, uh, Troubadour. No, he's literally asleep. asleep. Uh, I believe he's Truby to his friends. Truby to friends. Lobs, you're not his friend yet. Yeah, no, you're not his friend. (laughs) Yeah, we exhausted him when we played. uh, Yeah. 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 Uh, Gordon and Paul spent the first 10 minutes of being in my house weightlifting with the dog. He likes to play tug of war with a rope and you sort of pick him up and put him down with the rope. And it's an an excellent exercise. It's excellent exercise for you, for him. Everyone's happy. Yeah, Yeah, much much safer exercise than the exercise I I went out on yesterday as well. Yeah, so tell us about that, Gordon. (laughs) Uh, Well, yesterday morning, as we know, there was a storm. um, Oh, there was was a storm yesterday. Well, uh, apparently so, yeah. And, uh, I had no idea. And, uh, I thought I was the weather person. Yeah, and uh, at uh, nine o'clock um, at Hook van Holland, they reported a force 11 gale, which is one just short of a hurricane. Quarter past nine, um, I looked out the window and thought, it's not too blowy. I'll go for a run on the beach. <laughs> I nearly died. Yeah. I swear. I nearly. I was either just going to get shredded by sand flying to the back of my legs at 80 miles an hour, or I was going to get blown into the electric fence that's running along the side of the path. <laughs> so, but uh, but I survived. Uh, You're here. Should be delighted about. Yeah. We are very delighted. We're <laughs> always delighted. We're always delighted. And uh, Molly, that's not the only uh, adventurous thing that happened. Uh, no, my uh, my week. entire kitchen collapsed oh, on really? Wednesday. Yeah, the, was our, it because of the storm? It, no, it, it was preemptively <laughs> because of the storm. No, my uh, my upstairs neighbors are doing renovation work, and they were apparently demolishing a wall, and uh, didn't sort of bother to tell us that we may want to take glass things down off of the open shelving in our kitchen. So I came home to find about an inch of, of uh, glass on the floor, along with dried pasta and noodles and all sorts of things. And uh, about four drops of blood, because the dog had gone into the kitchen to see what all the commotion was about, cut his paw, and then basically like backed up out of the kitchen. It was like, nope, screw this nonsense. I'm never going back in there ever again. So smart. That's why he didn't eat his breakfast. Of yeah, course, yeah so. he's a little, little skeptical of the kitchen yeah. at the moment. Yeah, and uh, in the script here, I like to emphasize, it says that uh, Gordon is an actual insane person. That's a fair comment. Yeah, that's the title I gave you yesterday when I wrote the script, mm-hmm. but you have such changed the title to something else ridiculous. So what is your job title this week and and why? I call myself a gritter spotter because I discovered, um, it's been snowing a lot in, in Scotland, and I discovered, uh, well, somebody on the internet uh, spot noticed that the Scottish government has a page on its website where you can actually follow all the gritters. And actually try- <laughs> it's like a marauder's map okay. of gritter lorries <laughs> all, all over so Scotland. What is What's a gritter lorry? It's a lorry that spreads salt uh, to, uh, f- to, okay. to when it's uh, snowy or icy okay. to, to keep the roads clear. They um, have the same thing in the Netherlands. Do they? They have the yeah. same kind of... Uh, but, but do the gritters have names like they do in Scotland? That's oh, I'm not, not sure about that. Yeah, cause in Scotland, they're all called things like Gritty Gritty Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> gritty McGritface. Uh, no, no Gritty McGritface, but there's, there is a, um, a Gritty McVitty. Uh, there's a Luke Snowwalker. Nice. Um, my my favourite one's David Plowey. <laughs> <laughs> These are these are these great are good. names. Yeah, this is props good. to the Scots for yeah. uh, for naming their snowplows, huh? Yeah. 
So in other things we're going to talk about this week, uh, we'll bring you the damage assessment from yesterday's storm, update you on what happened in politics, and Dick Lawyer is back. In our discussion, we're going to talk about learning Dutch. Another week, another storm. On Thursday, a western storm hit the Netherlands, causing major disruptions to trains, flights and other traffic. Two people were killed by falling trees and flying debris, and dozens of others were injured. The storm entered the country around 8 o'clock in the morning and was heavier than forecasted, which is why the Royal Meteorological Institute upscaled its code orange warning to code red for the provinces in the middle of the country. A code red warning indicates wind gusts of up to 140 kilometers an hour. Schiphol Airport was closed for a time because of strong crosswinds, but could be reopened again in the early afternoon. The Dutch Railways NS suspended all train services from uh, 1.30, saying in a statement that they suffered damage to overhead cables and debris on the tracks on virtually all routes. Disruptions lasted until late in the evening. Local public transportation services were also disrupted. Trams and buses were cancelled in The Hague and Amsterdam, and in many other places as well. According to Rijkswaterstaat, a record number of 66 lorries were blown over on motorways across the countries, causing heavy traffic jams and delays. Fire departments received over 10,000 calls and reports of damage by the storm, such as fallen trees on buildings, blown away rooftops or facades. The total damage of the storm is estimated to be 90 million euros. Uh, but there was an upside to all this because everybody got uh, storm pooling, didn't they? Which is an early contender for word of the year. Tell us what storm pooling was all about. Yeah, it definitely is an <laughs> yeah. early contender. Yeah. Uh, so uh, all, all train services were suspended, so a lot of people, uh, you know, were stranded on the stations. And someone, uh, Jonica Smeet, she is a famous uh, mathematician in the mm. Netherlands and she, journalist, isn't she? And, and she a journalist yeah. as well. Yeah. And she came up with the idea of uh, using the hashtag storm pooling. Uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, carpooling in the yeah. storm. She's offering lifts to people. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. offering lifts yeah. to people, people mm. that are driving from one city to the other and mm. they are offering to, to pick someone up, yeah. some uh, unknown yeah. person. So anyone who was stuck because uh, they got a train into work and couldn't, couldn't get a train back home again uh, could just uh, send a tweet with the hashtag Stormpool saying I need to get home and, and drivers, were, some, and drivers uh, were offering yeah. the services as well. Yeah. It's really nice. It's got a real yeah. sort of, you know, it's a real sort of case of the, 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 the kind of the, the Dutch instinct for getting things done and yeah. helping out, uh, you know, c- c- coming to the surface. There was a downside, yeah. though. Which really was? bad traffic jams around yeah, train stations. Yeah, there were traffic jams around train stations, <laughs> yeah. which, which yeah. was unprecedented according to the traffic information services. Mm-hmm. And for example, to Utrecht, which is like the, the major hub of the trains in the Netherlands, uh, there was a traffic jam that ran from the from the highway to the to the train station from all directions. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there was some uh, there were some disruptions. Yeah, uh, but still better than not getting home. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the NS made sure, as they said on one point in the evening, that they made sure that everyone was coming home uh, in the evening. I'm not sure if that actually happened because a lot of people already found some alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, a friend of mine who was doing some work in Enschede decided to just stay over in Enschede and come come home tomorrow after work. Yeah. So, yeah, I know a few people who didn't quite make it back. Yeah, and your other half had uh, quite a, sort of a long uh, journey home. I yeah, think. he yeah. did. He was trying to get home. He works in Leida, so he was trying to get home from Leida Central to, to Delft. And, uh, yeah, it took, I think, about two and a half hours. He had to take a bus to Zutemir, hang out there for a while, take a bus to uh, Reisweg, hang out there for a while before finally ending up in Delft which is pretty much the worst commute yeah. home ever. Especially as you end up in Zutomir for right, half exactly. an hour. Right, yeah. exactly. It was, it, was, it was terrible, frankly, yeah. for him. 
So, Paul, you were also uh, uh, doing a good thing yesterday and uh, storm pooling some people around. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, One of my followers on Twitter, who I follow for a couple of years now, he said that his parents needed to go to the airport to Schiphol, but they live in Zeeland. So there was no way of them to you know, get to the airport in time. So uh, he, he was asking, well, can somebody please uh, uh, bring my parents to Schiphol or at least some somewhere closer than, uh, than Middelburg? And uh, yeah, they managed to uh, to come to Delft. So they were stuck in Delft. And then uh, yeah, I have a friend of mine who is also a, a friend of that uh, follower. And um, he works at Schiphol. So I asked him, if, is there a chance that you are going to Schiphol uh, in the evening? Mm. He said, no, I'm not. But I have my car here. You can borrow it and you can bring them. Mm. So then I uh, I brought them to Schiphol. Oh, yeah. that's very nice of you. Very good. Yeah, yeah. very public spirited of you. Yeah, good yeah. job. <laughs> that's the, that's the one nice thing I did. Now you're done enough. for the, yeah. Got your quota, the year, yes. basically. Right? Going back to yeah. being a terrible person. Yeah, yeah pretty indeed. much. Excellent. And, and the transport minister was querying uh, why so many lorries had gone onto the uh, onto the road as well in the in the high winds. Yeah, Cora van Nieuwenhuis, uh, uh, she said, um, uh, well, there are 66 lorries now blown over. It's a record. Uh, why on earth are, uh, are lorry drivers uh, taking the road when uh, when there is a code red? And uh, especially when you're on an empty lorry, because mm. that's where the, 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 the biggest problem is. And um, so she's going to try to find out why people are doing this. And she's going to investigate if it might be necessary to uh, to, to ban uh, lorries and, uh, and truck drivers to take the road when there is a code red. And uh, she's also going to uh, put some um, uh, warnings in English on the metric signs because now they are they are in Dutch, but you know there are a lot of international drivers in the in the Netherlands, so uh, uh, it, it might be an idea to put it in English so they mm. understand what the hell is going on and uh, and, and mm. if they should you know. Uh, rest and, and don't uh, continue driving. Yeah, if you're a lorry driver from France and you see a sign that you don't understand, then mm. maybe you don't have any idea that it's too too dangerous for you to be uh, for you to be driving. So. Yeah, so that might be a good idea as well. Uh, I wonder if uh, if the French are going to do the same uh, <laughs> with some warnings in Dutch uh, along the. And don't see it happening somehow. No. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling. <laughs> British citizens living in the Netherlands went to court this week to try to protect their right to live and work in the European Union after Brexit. The case has been brought by campaign groups Brexpats, Hear Our Voice, and the Commercial Anglo-Dutch Society, who argue that European citizenship exists separately from nationality and cannot be automatically taken away. They want the court in Amsterdam to refer their case to the European Court of Justice in Luxembourg. The Dutch state and the city of Amsterdam opposed the case, arguing that the matter should be settled in the British courts. Are you a member of, uh, what's it called, Brexpats? Uh, no, I have to say I'm not a member of Brexpats, and if I was, I'd, I'd uh, plead with them to change their name. This uh, <laughs> is a really terrible name. Yeah, it's not yeah. a good name. Yeah. So when can we expect a decision in the case, Gordon? Uh, in three weeks' time, the judge has promised to give a ruling, and it's uh, it's an injunction hearing, basically. So it's uh, in whatever decision will be, it'll probably um, uh, either go to another court or be appealed. Right. Yeah. When when can we Brexpat a decision? <laughs> Please stop talking. Forever. I will. I will. <laughs> but didn't Theresa May uh, settle all this in a letter uh, she she wrote in the autumn? Yeah, Theresa May, the uh, Prime Minister of the UK, wrote an open letter to EU citizens living in Britain uh, in the autumn, um, reassuring them that uh, if you've settled in Britain, then uh, you won't be asked to leave, and promising that uh, the government was very close to a reciprocal deal, so that British people living in European countries could also um, uh, carry on living where they were. But um, it wasn't really. Um, it, 
But there was a whole load of unresolved issues because things like whether you, you can still bring your family over if they're still living in Britain or you know, somebody on Newsier this week, I think, was saying his children um, uh, who lived with him in the Netherlands are now studying in Britain, so can they come back? Um, and, but, but the biggest issue, I think, is onward movement. So if you're living, you might be able to stay in the country where you're living, but can you still move? will you still have the freedom to move around the European Union if you're offered a job in Germany or Poland or Romania or somewhere? Um, so you know, there's still a huge amount of unanswered questions and a lot of uh, very worried expats. My kitchen isn't the only earthquake epicenter in the Netherlands. Groningen has had an increasingly worrying number of earthquakes in the past few years, including one last Monday, which registered 3.4 on the Richter scale. In a report released by NOS this week, it was revealed that 750 million euros in taxpayer money had been used to provide compensation to people whose property had been damaged by earthquakes and to shore up structures to prevent further damage, while drilling company NAM had only spent 422 million euros. This follows an agreement between the state and NAM, owned jointly by Exxon and Shell, which obliges the government to pay for 64% of all of the cost and Exxon and Shell paying 18% each. Economic Affairs Minister Eric Vibis told Parliament on Tuesday that it would take time to draw up a new compensation scheme. Residents of the area are unhappy with this arrangement, negotiated after NAM ceased paying damage claims last year over a dispute about who the burden of proof fell on. So they're now trying to move right away from gas extraction in uh, Groningen long term, uh, right? Yes. The four-party coalition agreement reached last October set a target of 7.5% cut from 21.6 billion cubic metres of gas to 20 billion cubic metres of gas by 2021. And uh, the, uh, the Minister Eric Vibus has kind of indicated that that's probably, that figure's probably going to be revised downwards again in the light of the recent earthquakes. Yeah. Uh, the, and almost the... everybody and, and the um, the supervisory body, the Staatstuzichten op de Main, and uh, have also said that they think it should be cut faster. Yeah. Um, however, there's there's some complications from this um, because, so there's, there's sort of two problems. For starters, the government has seen a reduction in nearly 11 billion euros of money earned off of gas extraction. Further, the company has gas contracts extending at least into 2030, including 1.6 million Belgian homes and businesses heated by Groningen gas. The Secretary General of the Belgian gas company Sinegrit, Bernekis Krabs, told Newsor, quote, no supplies of Dutch gas would leave us cold in the winter. I feel like that's not really going to make the Dutch feel too bad, given their relationship <laughs> with the Belgians, though. Yeah, although the Belgian builders did, as we'll uh, hear in a minute, um, kind of uh, uh, bail the Dutch out this that's week. That's true. So, uh, they did rescue the Dutch from the, from the Russians. That's yeah. true, but Belgium still has a uh, has a nuclear reactor that's uh, about to explode on the Dutch, on the Dutch uh, Belgian borders. That's so. true. We've all got iodine pills now. I, we've all got iodine pills. You now, do. So. We don't. We do. We do. Oh, no, no we're I don't going either. To die. No, my, my children have though. Yeah. Uh, they'll survive. I wonder, I wonder did you steal your children's iodine? I not yet. <laughs> I wonder if Troubadour could get could get yodium pills. Is he under eighteen? Yeah, he's, well, he's only, eligible. Then. He's oh, only a year yeah. old. It was Belgians to the rescue on Monday morning when two Russian bombers were spotted flying over the Vodensee. NATO alerted the Belgian Air Force, who sent up two F-16 fighter jets from Florence Air Base to intercept the Tupolev 160 planes, which are known as blackjacks. People in the northeast of the country will have heard a sonic boom as the jets had to break the sound barrier as they escorted the Russian planes across the North Sea, where they were picked up by two British RAF typhoon jets dispatched from Scotland. Why are the Belgians defending the Dutch? <laughs> I'm so confused by this. Uh, there's an, it's a kind of NATO deal because the, the Bending Lux nations um, sort of defend, uh, work as a team because it's quite a small area of sky. So uh, they take turns to defend the whole area. And uh, it, turned, uh, it was on Belgium's watch. So the Belgians uh, went up and uh, shooed, the Brus- shooed the Russians away. Although possibly as well because they had to break the sound barrier and that doesn't sound so harsh in a Flemish accent. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, why exactly were the Russian bombers in Dutch airspace? Uh, it's not clear, although uh, they... You didn't ask them? No, I didn't ask the Russians, no. Uh, they're still waiting to get back well, to me. Well, they did ask them. It's just no one could understand them because the fighter pilots had <laughs> yeah. a horrible Belgian accent. They were trying to decipher the... Yeah. Um, what did you do? Uh, although Russian planes do have a habit of encroaching on NATO countries' airspace, um, one theory being that they just, just like to sort of do the occasional fly-pass to test um, whether um, NATO countries are, uh, are on alert. There have also been incidents where submarines have turned up unannounced in Swedish territorial <laughs> in waters. In airspace? Oh, that, no, that in, would be weird. No, no, in the sea. Uh, another theory was that the bombers might have lost radio contact, so they weren't aware they'd left uh, international airspace. But yeah, that's always what they claim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they flew over Denmark to get here, so um, yeah, yeah. not quite totally convinced well, Why didn't the Danish... Uh, that's a good question. Them. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no one's asked the Danes that either. Maybe the Belgians tried to talk to the Danes and it all went horribly <laughs> wrong. Yeah, yeah I, I think the Danish were just watching the bridge or something. <laughs> well, Denmark is only like this wide. So, you know, once you, you they, by the time they realized that they yeah. were there, they, they were, were gone. gone. Politics news now. The uh, new US ambassador to the Netherlands, Piet Hoekstra, finally admitted in an interview with the Telegraaf newspaper that he made a mistake when he talked about no-go zones and politicians being set on fire in the Netherlands. He had said these comments in a speech in 2015, but denied saying them in an interview with Newsuur journalist Wouter Zwart, calling it fake news, then moments later denying calling it fake news. The video of the interview went viral, both domestically and internationally, but Hoekstra said in the same interview he hasn't seen the video. The ambassador also said that he was welcomed warmly in the Netherlands, and despite the heated press conference in which he refused to answer journalists' questions, he doesn't think uh, the difficult start would damage his role. Do you think it was uh, his apology was sincere, Paul? Well, uh, well the actual quote is, um, the statement about politicians being burnt was imprecise, which is indicating that, you know... <laughs> untrue. It's, it's untrue, but there is some truth in there. Mm. And he also said that the no-go zones could be an exaggeration of what happened. In the is, sense that nothing happened, yeah, so therefore it's an exaggeration. Or... Well, that no. that something happened, but mm. uh, there are no-go zones areas. So, there are you know, no no-go zones, mm. but there are like, maybe don't think about the, going uh, there zones, yeah. which mm-hmm. is what he's implying, yeah. which is false, just unequivocally. Yeah, so he should, should just should have said it's false and you know stick to it. We talked about this yeah. last week, just mm. when you make an apology, just it's, say, I'm sorry. And we don't... continue to discover that men are terrible at apologizing, <laughs> basically. Yeah, so, so yeah, if you read between the lines, uh, he's actually saying that what he said is, is not completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, it, but that's just my opinion. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody that's surprised by the it's fake news. No, I called it fake news. No, I didn't call it fake news. Guy was uh, is going to be yeah. a, 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 give a slippery answer. Yeah. Yeah. But, but probably this U.S. ambassador has had more publicity uh, than any other U.S. ambassador to the Netherlands in the last over the last you know, twenty years yeah, as a result of this. That's yeah, there was definitely a, true. <laughs> there was a long time we didn't even have an ambassador, <laughs> Indeed, and no one noticed. And no yeah. one noticed yeah. at all. Uh, also, also, like the Belgian government, no one noticed. <laughs> Nobody noticed. Yeah. The football season resumes this weekend after the annual winter break. PSV have a five-point advantage over Ajax at the halfway point of the season, with Azet Alkmaar three points further behind in third place and defending champions Feyenoord lingering in fifth. However, there was one match this week and it saw a return to the fold for the man who just can't stay away from Dutch football. Didn't it, Molly? Yes, my favourite. My (laughs) favourite Dutch football person associated. Uh, Dick Advocat. Yes, after stepping down as national team head coach in November, Dick Advocat has taken charge at Sparta Rotterdam, where his first job will be to save the club from relegation. 
but it didn't go off to a very auspicious start as the team lost 1-0 at home to Vitesse Arnhem and that means they're now bottom of the table which is a position known in Dutch as Heckenslauter. <laughs> that sounds dirty. No, the shut, uh, shutter of the gate. The last person through the gate has to shut it behind them. In, uh, in more exciting Sparta news, the ASEO where we adopted Troubadour Magua from was, is right next to the Sparta Stadium. So we were walking through the yeah. Sparta Stadium on our way back. Uh, but there was also some sad news uh, for one of the stars of the 70s. Uh, yes, uh, Willem van Hanegem, who's a member of the 1974 World Cup team, has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, he's now 73 and he said the illness was picked up during a routine blood screening. But uh, doctors are very optimistic about his chances. But he does need to go through seven weeks of uh, radiotherapy, which is quite gruelling. He gave an interview to the ADE about it after other patients recognised him and tipped off journalists. Um, which is rude. It's yeah. a bit rude, yeah. But football analysts uh, uh, say he's, he's not as famous internationally as Johan Krauf, but a lot of Dutch commentators will tell you that he was uh, as important as Krauf to the success of the 1974 team. Yeah, um, just as good, <clears throat> if not better. Yeah. yeah, he was a very different type of player, wasn't he? He was kind of a... Krauf was sort of the, the, the prancing gazelle, and Fahanachem was the bruiser who you know, kept the... Uh, made sure that no one else on the other side didn't get the ball. Um, he was kind of a strong tackler. He was a very good reader of the game, and he wasn't... He was known as De Kromer because he had... A very ungainly running style. And what does that mean in English? Uh, the, the crooked one, to say. He was the Hillary Clinton of the 70s. <laughs> yeah, different kind of crooked. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and uh, But uh, he's, yeah, he spent almost his entire playing and coaching career in the Netherlands, apart from a very brief spell in America. So that's probably why he's not as well known as he might be. Uh, he's um, He was very phlegmatic about it in typical style. He said he was a bit shocked when he got the diagnosis, but then he went to say he slept on it for a night and then got up and went to play golf. Just like Donald Trump. Basically. Yeah. He's <laughs> Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in one. Yeah, but he doesn't have as good uh, as, as good a health uh, record as Donald Trump. <laughs> well, no one has as good of a health record. No, as Donald, he has the best health record. He has the best. Yeah, he's the healthiest person yeah. ever. His, His health record he, is terrific. He has terrific genes. He's the most genetic person you've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> and if he wouldn't uh, drink so much diet cokes, <laughs> he would uh, become two hundred years old. Yeah. Short, dark-haired Dutch guys can't blame the Spanish for their lot in life any longer. According to a study conducted by the University of Lova, there's no genetic basis for the notion that Dutch people with a shorter statue or dark hair and complexion have any more Spanish blood in them than their French or Belgian counterparts. There's a widely held belief that these people are descendants of Spanish men who committed rape during the Eighty Years' War between the Netherlands and Spain. It's not to say that Dutch and Flemish women did not have children by Spanish soldiers, but not so many as to influence a population's DNA, according to geneticist Martin Larmasseau in an interview with the NRC. So, Paul, what's your excuse for being so short? <laughs> That's rude. I'm not short. I'm I'm the exact average of the of the Dutch height. What's your excuse for being exactly average then? <laughs> uh, I have it's, it's Spanish. It's Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Now I I'm I'm an average height, but uh, sometimes I feel short, especially when we are at farewell parties of a friend of us right, who is true. a lacrosse player, and mm. I'm surrounded by ginormous lacrosse players. That's true. I, I, I'm of much above average heights for women in the Netherlands and I've still felt incredibly short at that party. <laughs> yeah. so. But I think we have to change the anthem now. Oh yeah, that's true. We should do yeah. that. Yeah, uh, no Spanish blood. But, no, uh, but the anthem says German blood. Yeah, right? but the, they, they mentioned the Spanish blood, blood somewhere, yeah. I think, as well. You pledge, loyalty, pledge loyalty to the King of Spain yeah, with your German blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I sense a conspiracy here because this was carried out by the University of Leuven, which is in uh, which country? Belgium. Belgium. Yeah, exactly, so it's probably the Belgians just uh, trying to make the Dutch yeah. feel insecure about themselves. Yeah, but the Belgians yeah. had, had a war with, uh, with Spain as well that's uh, true. in that time, so... 
Yeah. Although, yeah, it's more we, although to be fair, it, wasn't, it was more complicated than that. It wasn't just a conflict between nations, was it? There was a lot of overlap and a lot of, especially uh, Catholic Dutch, actually didn't want to be independent from Spain because they feared being uh, under a Protestant state. That's true. So mm. uh, what's now Belgium was uh, the Spanish Netherlands for the next uh, 200 years mm. after I mean, the it, end of the war. It was an 80 years war. I figured they were arguing about more than one thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be discussing learning Dutch after this word from our sponsors. Do you drive or ride a bike? Are you in the train or on the train? If you're producing text in English but aren't sure of just the right wording, M Squared can help you. M Squared is a digital publications company that can help you with all of your writing, editing and translation needs. They have a combined 20 years experience crafting the perfect document from editing books to writing website copy. If you need help with your website text, brochure, thesis, press release and more, Contact them at info at msqrd.com. If you're interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. Anyone who's been to a party with internationals in the Netherlands knows the conversation will inevitably turn to the Dutch proficiency of the non-natives. Complaints about foreigners not learning the language and not integrating are met with complaints about the Dutch switching to English the second they hear a hint of an accent. So what is the process like to learn Dutch and do we even need it? So let's start with like a little bit of a framework. The Netherlands, like all EU countries, uses the common European framework of reference for languages to rate language abilities. This isn't just for Dutch as a second language, but also for, you know, a Dutch person learning French or a Spanish person learning Italian. It uses a letter system A through C and a numbering system 1 and 2 to rate your language ability. We'll link to the outline in the liner notes if you're interested. So Paul, I'm very curious if you know what your uh, level of Dutch speaking is. I think you're like a B2 or something like that. <laughs> but uh, how does it work? Because uh, A is uh, is the yeah. best. A, C... No, it's the other way around. Uh, A1 is, is the lowest level and, and like C2, C2 is, the is the highest. C2 is the highest possible. But C2 is the highest possible and not native, mm. right? C2 is not like this is your mother language. It's yeah. like the step below something being your mother language. Yeah. Okay, so I'm D1. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what we thought we'd maybe do as well is just um, uh, to give listeners an idea of, uh, of where we're at, uh, just to um, because we're all we're all non-native speakers, including Paul, because he's actually from Brabant. Right. <coughs> um, and and <laughs> as we just found out, one quarter Belgian. Yes, yeah. I just found this out too. So yeah, yeah. So we we thought we'd also introduce ourselves in about three sentences in uh, in Dutch. Yeah. I've decided I don't want to you, do you, this. You, you sorry, don't want to do. If you don't do it, then we can't mind. do it. No, it's fine. <laughs> you go first. Uh, no, 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 no. Go for it. No, I've been. Uh, Paul Peter, en ik ben een student in Delft en ik ben ook een podcast host. Ik ben Gordon, ik woon ongeveer 3,5 jaar in Nederland. Ik woon in Den Haag met mijn twee kinderen en we zijn daarvoor hebben we ongeveer 13 jaar in Schotland gewoond in Glasgow en ik werk als journalist. This is the first time I hear you speak Dutch. I know, I was conscious of that. Also, you speak Dutch with a Scottish accent, which is kind of strange to me. <laughs> yeah, I was not prepared a, for that. Do you think it's a Scottish accent? I, I think it sounds Sco- a little Scottish, yeah. yeah. There is an accent, but I couldn't really no. place it. So, Right, now Molly's turn. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> ik ben Molly. Uh, ik woon in Delft met mijn vriend. Uh, yeah, ik werk als een journalist. Uh, ik ben ook een, een podcast co-host. <laughs> the volume of you <laughs> never heard you so quiet never heard you so quiet yeah i yeah. get very like boring and and uh and yeah because i i mean my and my dutch is very like formal because i've had i've been taking dutch lessons 
with a 75 year old Belgian man. So how did you go about uh, learning Dutch, Gordon? What was your, did you, did you take classes? What was your process? It was a mix of stuff. I did take classes. I mean, first of all, I just learned it just by, as I say, visiting, watching, watching daytime TV was really good because um, I'd watch like American soaps with Dutch subtitles. And because the dialogue is so simple yeah. and you just keep seeing the same phrases repeated, yeah. you work out what everything means quite quickly. That's one thing. The comic strips, reading books, but I did take some classes. I did a three week intensive course run by the Nederlands Italiani. Um, so yeah, and, and I did that and I, I did a module at university, but mostly I think I learned most of my Dutch um, just um, from visiting and especially after we moved here uh, because I had to deal with a lot of um, uh, you know, uh, formal stuff like uh, organising schools for children. And uh, yeah, I think definitely that uh, my standard of my Dutch improved after that. And what about you, Molly? What's kind of been your uh, experience? Um, so I moved here. Not a tip, get kids. Get kids, <laughs> get kids yeah. yeah. And get a partner. Get a partner. Yeah, yeah. 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 the partner thing has made a big difference. Yeah. Um, so I moved here six years ago with a partner, but not a Dutch partner. Um, we took a kind of, yeah, night course thing to sort of do some basic stuff that was kind of like sponsored. At the time, it was sponsored by the Gemeente. It was like one of the worst experiences of my life. It was really terrible. Um, we were not really planning on staying. So I sort of said, well, I'm not learning the stupid language that people don't speak <laughs> outside of this country anyway. And then we split up and I decided I wanted to stay. And I said, if I want to stay, I want to be able to, uh, to, to do some communication. You should make some effort to like learn the language. So I, I hired myself a 75 year old Belgian man as my uh, <laughs> Oh, not as your boyfriend. Not as my boyfriend. Um, um, and I, I think that that went pretty well. My, my reading comprehension is pretty good. I mean, I do a lot of like reading and I, I love a person who likes to like know about the news and stuff. So, you know, we get the newspaper and I read it, but my speaking is like not nearly as good. And yeah, then I got myself a Dutch boyfriend and I think my, my level has gone up tremendously and his parents speak okay English, not super great English. Um, and they, they don't, I mean, they live in Utrecht. They're not even like out in the middle of nowhere or something. Hmm. Yeah. So was that a big motive for you? The fact that you didn't want to feel left out at family gatherings yeah, that, to be able to join in the conversation? That was pretty much the push. I mean, I, th yeah. I think there's two things that were the push. The the having like your own private language when we're in the US, which where we go back to very frequently. Yeah, that's, so that's we can fun, like yeah. debate whether or not we're like... You know, Niels will ask me if I'm irritated with my brother or my sister. Like, do we want to leave and that kind of stuff. So that that has been like a, I think possibly a bigger motivation for me. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a combination of motives. I think it's sort of like you know now in this for the long haul. I would like to be able to you know operate better in society here, um, and kind of having a having a sort of willing you know a person who has to like sort of listen to your shitty Dutch and be nice to you about it. Like really, I think really has made a difference because. Yeah. We put up a, a thing on the, the Facebook page asking for what people's experiences were. And of course, everyone mentions like Dutch people speak really good English and they switch to English as soon as they hear that you have an accent. Hmm. So something like 92% of the Dutch population is fluent in English. Um, of course, there's more people who are fluent in this sort of Ronstadt area. Um, we got a lot of comments saying that like, yeah, if you get out of the Ronstadt, then no one speaks English. This is just blatantly untrue. Hmm. Everyone speaks English everywhere. I was just in Leowarda this weekend. Everyone switched to English as soon as they heard me speaking. Like, I had the exact hmm. same experience when I was in over ISIL a few weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everyone everywhere speaks English. But, yeah. you know, so you it, this is a problem in the sense that, like, it is more difficult to improve your Dutch because you have less and less opportunities to practice. So when I sort of got a live-in opportunity who kind of, like, had to constantly, like, listen to me and be nice about it, mm. um, I think that really markedly improved my my speaking ability. I yeah. assume that you had a similar experience. Yeah, the fact that when we had uh, family gatherings and birthdays and things, all the conversation was in Dutch, and I could either sit on the sideline and wait for someone to translate for me, or I could, uh, you know, make the effort to learn Dutch myself. That was definitely a big... Uh, um, motivation and uh, obviously I think it was low you know outside the Rundstad 
stop people do speak English, maybe that the 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 stand the standard is less good, yeah. and you do come across people who really struggle and find it more comfortable to yeah. speak Dutch, and you find you, you you get more out of the conversation, yeah. more out of the interaction, if you are able to speak Dutch. Yeah. But um, yeah, but that, that was kind of a feedback thing we had a lot that people say that uh, that, that they're they're put off because people switch to English, um, you know, Dutch people tend to switch to English, uh, and, and you kind of feel judged when you're a non-native speaker, you feel you feel like you failed, and so you give up. But I kind of curious, Paul. I mean, is this something I feel like this is something Dutch people almost do automatically without thinking yeah if they hear a foreign accent is, is that the case for you yeah yeah <laughs> that's true yeah whenever some whenever you hear someone especially speaking with trying to speak English, Dutch with an English accent or an American accent you automatically switch to switch to English but yeah it's it's um, I think it has to do with efficiency if you're yeah. talking mm-hmm. to someone you want I to have things done and yeah. if you yeah, you, I mean not doing consciously is a thing to judge someone's Dutch you just no, think it's just a thing you, you're so used to doing it it's so drilled yeah. into you that yeah. You just <laughs> yeah I agree I mean I do think it's like a it's an efficiency thing that like they want and I, I think that there's a general sense which which I do think to some degree is true that like that you know they know Dutch people know that they speak English and that like this is a thing that like I think in their heads is like a very uh, is a welcoming thing right it, hmm. which is true because like you know I don't speak great Dutch but I am like fairly well integrated here I mean I have almost mostly Dutch friends like a Dutch partner and all Dutch neighbors and like I'm going to help out at a Dutch beer festival tomorrow and do work for lots of Dutch clients and like you know it you get it you can do all of these things i i get uncomfortable doing an interview in dutch and people will just switch to, to doing it in english and mm. like so it makes it so that you can integrate in a way here that i have not been able to do in other countries where english isn't so widely spoken so i always say it's like great for the first like three years and then it's like very frustrating yeah, because you're trying to learn the language, you're trying yeah. to learn the language mm. and you you yeah. you don't have any opportunities to practice so we had to, what other feedback did we get from uh, the listeners we got quite a lot of responses yeah so you i i feel like the learning Dutch uh, uh, in the international community falls into two camps. There are the people who do it like within 15 minutes of landing at Schiphol Airport are totally fluent. Um, and then there are the people for whom this like just drags out and drags out and drags out. Um, you know, I, I, language learning is a skill. I think some people are better at it than others. It's not a thing that I am good at. You know, and I also think that circumstances differ a bit. I mean, I've worked like almost the entire time that I've lived here. I've worked full time. So, I mean, it's, you know, you you spend a lot of time and stuff investing and in, in trying to learn this language. And when you're doing that on top of a you know a 40 hour a week job with a commute and that kind of stuff yeah. it gets to be quite tiring i mean i think some people move here and don't don't have to to do that or you know you move here and you're you're a student and the university offers courses that maybe like aren't financially available to other people that sort of thing yeah so we got a lot of feedback on that we also got a lot of feedback about uh people complaining about that whether or not you that you really need to learn dutch to be able to integrate here which i think is an interesting topic of discussion Mm. and not really a point that i that i necessarily agree with what do you think paul do you think you need to be able to speak dutch in order to be able to integrate here um I don't think so. Uh, as long as you speak English, then yeah. y- yeah, you can mm. find your way around. But uh, I think everyone has, or most of the people here in the Netherlands have a sort of basic uh, understanding of the English language. But if you, uh, you know, try to order a beer or try to find something in the grocery shops, then you're fine. But if you want to have uh, a long discussion about whatever, mm. or a long conversation with someone then uh the level of english of of the average person in the netherlands i think um is not sufficient so to have a lot of uh, dutch friends i think it's better to 
have some knowledge of, of the language. Yeah, I think you can definitely get by for quite a long time without knowing very much Dutch at all or, or very little. Um, and as that's maybe uh, an advantage in some ways in, in attracting people to come move here, the fact they don't have to learn Dutch immediately. But I think the longer you're here, you know, it depends on how far you want to, want to integrate. I think for somebody who's here for six months, a year, and is then going to move on somewhere else, there's not really very much point. No. But if, you're going to, if you feel like you're going to settle, and you know, particularly if you start putting children through schools yeah. or, you're, or, or you're, you have any kind of dealings with you know, the government or the healthcare system, and in general, I think if you if you want to actually put down some roots and start making friends among Dutch people, you'll get a lot further if you um, if you start learning Dutch. And even if it's not, you're not completely fluent. Yeah. And uh, in your experience, uh, when you, when you are uh, talking to friends or to family. Mm. Uh, is the conversation half in English and half in Dutch, or is it completely these Dutch days? These days, mostly it's mostly all in Dutch, and I think you get into a habit. I think um, of just uh, speaking a particular language with, with people. Certainly, I mean within the family circle, it feels unnatural now to speak English. Yeah, I mean we speak basically like a mishmash. Both Niels and I speak, but kind of a mishmash at home, and definitely like with his family, we speak a lot. There's a lot of them speaking Dutch and me replying in English. That happens a lot. I'm I'm optimistic and hopeful that like the better that my Dutch gets, the more we sort of like switch to Dutch. Uh, what tips would we have for anyone who is maybe starting learning Dutch or has uh, had a few failed attempts and uh, feels that they'd like, they'd like to have another go? What I think uh, is an is a, is a excellent uh, tool to learn a language is Duolingo. Yeah, mm. I really like Duolingo. It's yeah. like a free language learning app. Um, I actually totally maxed out on the Dutch level of Duolingo and I was very excited and then they like updated their thing and now there's like <laughs> 8,000 more levels, which is which is good actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you thought you, you finished I thought I was done. Now, yeah. I was not done. Yeah, I've used Mondly. Yeah, and the thing I think I find most useful about Duolingo and, and perhaps some of these other apps is like, it's not so great with the grammar. There's a bit of that, but it's really good for like vocabulary yeah. and you repetitively do, you know, a lot of these weird sentences over and over again. Like, yeah. I am an orange owl, which sounds very strange, but <laughs> you start to remember, like you remember the word for owl and you remember the word for orange and that mm. kind of stuff. And it's, I, I find like having a decent grasp on the vocabulary makes kind of the rest of it much easier. Like yeah, you, slow, if you, yeah. if you yeah. get the nouns, you can sort you of can figure out what people are sentence, talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, the grammar is probably something that you will never master. I yeah, think. there was a there was also a bit of a debate on the Facebook page when we asked people about their experiences. Um, there's like this Delft method uh, method of learning, mm-hmm. so like the Delft method, where they basically try to teach you like you're a child. So they don't teach you like grammar rules and like that kind of stuff. They just oh. sort of like try to start teaching you sentences. So my first Dutch class was with this, and everybody really like hyped it up. Like this is really the way to do it, and it, it was like the worst experience of my life. Like I understand it works for a lot of other people. So yes. I think finding something that like works for your own language learning, your own learning process is like also a good good trick. Yeah, I think different people learn in different ways. I think the thing that I found the most useful was like, you know, I'm very interested in like politics and current events and stuff. And so when I got a private instructor, I said, you know, basically what I want to be able to do is like read, you know, the read NRC the every day. Mm. Yeah. So like we just structured this whole learning process around that. And like, you know, that I feel pretty fairly comfortable with, not always, yeah. but like... You know, it's it's pretty good. And so that, for me, was like, okay, well, this is a thing that I want to be able to do so it didn't feel yeah. like such a terrible experience. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, good way to uh, go about it, actually, to, to actually identify a particular reason, you know, what level of language you want to reach and yeah. what you want to do with it. Yeah. And that make better motivated. The other tip I would give is comic books. Yeah. Know, it's a, I think it's a really good way to learn because if you've got another way to follow the story, yeah. you can often intuit what the language is from yeah. the... Um, you know, there's, there's like, kids' television programs are useful. Mm. In particular, I like the, uh, what is it, Young uh, Journal? What is oh, yes, Journal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, because it's you know it's aimed for kids, so the language is a bit not le- less easier. complicated. Wow. Yeah, it's a bit easier to understand. So so I I've quite enjoyed that. And then my other advice is to like f- 
find old people. So yeah. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, elderly are very useful because yeah. you. Uh, yeah, I think definitely get, get somebody who's come like almost like your your your, your Dutch learning buddy, right? yeah. so maybe a neighbor or somebody yeah. or for a friend of a friend. You just say, right, for one hour a week, we're just going to talk Dutch. Yeah. And however much I struggle, you're not going to switch to English. Yeah. Kids are also very useful for this because mm. they often don't have a language to switch to, right? Because their English is yes. not very fluent. So if you can tolerate spending time around children, it's <laughs> where you fall down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's also, uh, that's also a good one. So that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell, and we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.